You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. What could I say that would cause you to lean and go, Sam, 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 don't joke with me. Are you serious? Sam, is this a promise? Friends, this morning, as we open up our Bibles, God, he's not just going to give us a promise. He's coming with a promise of hope. And to every single person in this room that is acquainted with the pain of life in a broken world, to every person who knows what it is to hurt, if anybody in this room is familiar with just the dryness of life that can be likened to a desert, If you're here and you've ever experienced disappointment, you know suffering. You know that somewhere along the line, life has not turned out the way that you hoped it would, whether by your own hand or by another's hand. If that's you this morning, God shows up and he says, friend, there is hope with a capital H, I promise. He's going to give us hope that will strengthen us for today as we look forward that day. Do you want to hear his promise? Do anybody want some hope this morning? Me too. And so we're going to dive into Isaiah chapter 35. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Father, I pray that as you speak to us, Lord, that our hearts would unfold like flowers before thee, that you would shine hope into the dark places of our life, Lord, and that we would leave here, Father, changed Filled with hope. Lord, we want nothing less than to have you change our life. So would you do it in Jesus' name? Amen. Here we go. Starting in verse 1, this is God's word for our church this morning. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Let's pause our text there right now. The first thing we see this morning is that dead deserts will be transformed into living gardens. Dead deserts will be transformed into living gardens. We begin our story this morning, and he takes us out to the wilderness. Welcome to the desert. Merry Christmas. You didn't know we were going here this holiday season. We start in the desert, and our author gives us this picture of a dry and thirsty land. And you can imagine sand as far as the eye can see. Heat is emanating off of the ground. There's no moisture in the air. There's definitely no moisture in your mouth. Plant life and vegetation is scarce because things don't come here to live. Things come to the desert to die. If you were to speak to her right now, if you were to listen to the desert, she would speak to you. She would croak out a few words from her cracked lips and her dry voice. And her raspy throat. What a picture. Welcome to the desert. Welcome to the desert. How many of you know that sometimes life feels like that? 
You see, some of you in this room right now, you know what he's talking about in the desert, not because you saw National Geographic yesterday, but because you lived it. Some of you in this room, you know the pain of the dead and dry parts of a desert. You know what it's like when life feels hopeless, when relationships feel empty, when vocationally we feel dead, when spiritually we feel dry, emotionally we are thirsty. You know what it's like when the hopelessness of tragedy seems to hang heavy around you in the air like the oppressive heat of summer. You know what it's like when life is a dead wilderness. You ever been there? Have you ever lived in the desert? Longing with thirst to be refreshed for even the, the briefest moment of reprieve. Those are the seasons where you wake up every day hoping that you can experience just a small glimpse. Can I just get a break? Can I just have one moment of refreshing? And yet you know that when your feet hit the floor, it's going to be the same dry, arid desert that you went to bed to last night. We're talking about the desert this morning. And sometimes we're here in the desert because life happens, right? Like, welcome to planet Earth. Sometimes life happens. But there are other times when you're in the desert because you've done it to yourself. And that's the most painful desert. And that's where the original audience is in. And so this original audience, the people of Israel, they are in a desert of their own making. You see, Israel, they are currently living as slaves in a foreign nation. And some of you are like, oh yeah, I know this part. They're in Egypt, right? No, no, no. This is hundreds of years after Egypt. They are now living enslaved in Babylon. And the most painful part is they have brought this desert on themselves. You see, God, he saved them from Egypt. Moses, right? Let my people go. Boom. Split the sea. He saves them from Egypt, brings them into his family, and gives them his ways. And he says, here are my ways. You're my children. I'm your God. Walk with me. Follow me. And Israel, they reject their God. They reject their Savior. They forget who they are. Better yet, they forget whose they are. And they start engaging in these foreign practices. Rather than following God, they're now sacrificing their children to foreign gods. They're now going up on their roof having worship services with the temple priestesses and cultic life. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is bad. Israel has rejected their Savior, and we find out as a result that this land vomits them, ejects them out of its mouth, and now they find themselves in chains walking as slaves to Babylon. And as they look over their shoulder... They see the smoldering heap of the temple. The center of their religious life is in shambles as they are about to live in captivity. And so when the author describes the desert, this original audience, they're sitting there going, oh, I get it. Yep. And maybe you're here this morning and you're hearing the desert and you go, yeah, I get it. They're in a desert. But here's the message this morning. He is talking to people in a desert, and he says, I know you're there. I know your despair, but a new day is coming. He looks into the future. He says, shall, four times, right? This is looking forward to what is going to come. There is a day, friends, where your desert of despair will become a place of glad rejoicing. 
I know how that sounds. Like, there's no way. There's no way. Imagine the people hearing this. And they go, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it, right? And he's saying, no, I know it sounds impossible, but those dry and desolate wastelands will one day be transformed into luscious gardens that are blossoming abundantly like a flower. I had to Google what a crocus was. Any flower lovers in here? Did you know what a crocus was? Come on, don't lie to me. For real? You know what a crocus is? It's so beautiful because the stem of the flower is underground. And so you don't see greenery. You don't see the no wasted space, just boof, color. And he goes, I know it feels like a desert. I know it feels like everything is death and dryness, but there's a day coming. The desert will no longer croak with her raspy voice and her cracked lips. One day your desert will be rejoicing with joy and singing loudly for all to hear. You see, friends, the desert is not being slightly renovated. This is a full-scale transformation. This is a promise to radically transform and reform the dry places. And he says, by the time I'm done with it, you won't even recognize your desert. He goes, right now, all you see is dry desert and death. But there's a day coming, friends. There is a day coming where the, the glory and the splendor of this place will rival that of the beautiful forests of Lebanon. Some of you have never been to Lebanon, right? <laughs> Me neither. But if you were to go there, you would see these forests. And he says, I know your desert feels like death, but one day the glory of that place will rival the glory of the forest of Lebanon. He goes, one day the, the splendor of your current situation will be in the same league as the majesty of the mountains of Carmel. One day, your situation will look like that of the, 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 the waterfront property, the verdant coastal plains of Sharon. I know it feels like the desert will last forever, friends, but it won't forever. Transformation is coming. And every person in this room who has ever tasted or experienced the desert, we say, yes, please. That sounds good. I'll have that. We hear of that day. This original audience, they hear of this day that shall come in the future and their hearts and your hearts are filled with hope. Oh, like a child. You see, when we think of hope, we think of wishful thinking, right? I hope the commanders will win the Super Bowl this year. So you laugh. You laugh, right? Because you know, haha, that would be cool. But there's no way! Right? That is wishful thinking. Probably not going to happen, but that's a nice thought anyway. Keep hoping. Friends, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not wishful thinking. It is the confident yearning and longing of our hearts for what we know that what has been promised will be given. It is the confident yearning and knowledge that what has been promised will be given. God says, I know that you know the death of the desert. But I'm here to promise you the dead parts will live again. The dead parts will live again. And so how does this happen? How does our desert, how do our personal deserts become transformed? Where's the hope? You see, there's some people in your life that will tell you time heals all wounds. So if you just give it enough time, that will transform your desert. There are other people who say, no, you got to have persistence and resilience. And if you can grit it out, that will result in your transformation. 
And then there's others that say, no, 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 you know what it is? It's just positivity. If you can just be creative and positive and innovative, then you could like make the desert transform, right, through your wishful thinking. And I'm here to tell you that what God says is so much better than all of those. There's only one explanation for this transformation. There's only one possible cause for how your desert will be transformed, and it's this. The desert will be transformed because of the arrival of God. Those places will be transformed one day because on that day, the desert will have a visitor. Look what he says here. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Those, are who dis- those who are despairing, those who are sitting in the desert, they are told, hey, check it out. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. This is their hope. They got themselves into the desert, but he's coming to get them out of it. He's coming to transform the desert. He is coming to save us from our circumstances of pain and despair. The wilderness of hell will be transformed into the gardens of hope. Because he's coming. And he will do it. The arrival of God is our promise of hope. The arrival of God is our promise of hope. He's coming. He promises it. That is our only hope. That is our only chance to survive the wilderness. And he promises it. And so he gives this message to his messenger. And what should the messenger do with this? What would you do if you just got news? Hey, God is coming and he's going to transform your desert. What would you do? See, God tells them to do the only thing that makes sense. He says, go tell it on the mountains, over the hills, and everywhere while you're at it. Go, tell it on the mountains, said Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. He sends out the messenger to encourage people with the news. He sends him back into the desert. And when he goes into the desert, who does he find? He finds people that look just like you and me. He finds people with weak hands. He finds people with feeble knees. He finds people with anxious hearts. Man, this is the opposite of how we try to project ourselves these days, aren't we, right? We get into our little huddles with ourselves in the mirror in the morning. We go, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose, yeah, just come on. Tough it out, guys, come on, we can do this. And yet we know in our heart of hearts that if we're being honest with ourselves, it's more like weak hands, feeble knees, anxious hearts. Right? Am I lying? Friends, we know what it's like, right? I tell you this. If you have ever faced your desert with something less than perfect bravery and something less than perfect resilience and strength and fortitude, you're in good company. You're not alone. God doesn't send a messenger to people like us and say, tell them to suck it up. Tell them to get better. Tell them to try hard. Are they still weak? Do they have no? No, no, he expects it. He he understands it, and so he sends a message of encouragement. He doesn't roll his eyes at you. He sends hope, and so he tells his messenger, I want you to go and strengthen their hands. Go and give them such good news that where they thought they didn't even have the strength to make a fist, they now have the strength to make it another day. Go and address those people whose knees were so weak with fear, and he says, make them firm. Give them reason for hope. 
to tell them there's no more need to fear. Go to all of those people who look just like you and me, who have anxious hearts, and I want you to say to them, I want you to encourage them with the news that I will come and save them. I will come and rescue them from their suffering. I am coming to turn their situation around. Tell them that their desert won't last forever. Because I'm coming. Because I'm coming. Tell them that my vengeance and my recompense are with me. That doesn't sound like good news. Why is that good news that God is coming with vengeance? It is good news if you're on the wrong side of injustice. That's really good news if you know that you're in this desert because you've been wronged. And God says, when I show up, I'm going to right the wrongs. I'm going to right every wrong. I'm going to meet all of the, the, the sufferings and injustices. I'm going to address those. I'm not only God your creator, I am God your savior. And I am coming. And our messenger, he tells them, be strong. Fear not. Because look. See, we're good at encouraging each other, right? Like, hey, come on, it's all right. But it's empty because if we were to follow up, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Okay. The messenger just said, be strong, fear not, and behold your God. You know, we're good at encouraging. Come on, it's going to be okay. Come on, be, be encouraged. But really, what we're scared to say in that exchange, because we know they don't have a good answer, is but how do you know? Come on, I'm sure it'll be all right. And we just leave it there, because if we push it, we'll know how frail that hope is. It's going to be good. How do you know? And the messenger, when he's pushed to go, how do you know? Why should I be strong? How do you know there's no reason for fear? He goes, look, because look who's coming. Behold your God. The arrival of God is our promise of hope. The arrival of God is our promise of hope. Anybody want this hope this morning? Anybody need some hope in a desert? And so how will we know when he's come? How will we know when it's time? How will we know when God has arrived and he said, all right, it's time for me to do what I promised I would do. How do we know? Well, he shows us the evidence here. Look at the next part of our verse. Then... The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sands shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. How do we know? How do you know when a volcano is erupting? Uh, how do you know when an earthquake is just experiencing two tectonic plates just shattering each other? How do you know? Well, I hope somebody would tell me. No, you don't need anyone to tell you, right? You will know. You cannot miss it when that volcano is going off. And in the same way, when God comes to save us, you'll know. You won't be asking, is it time yet? You'll know his presence will be felt in powerful ways. There will be no mistaking it, friends, because God's arrival will change the lives of his people. God's arrival will change the lives of his people. 
You see, this is not hope in a general sense. This is not just like a generic offer of hope for mankind in general. This is not just some lofty abstraction. That would be nice. Hope is a good sentiment. No, there will be real implications for those of you in this room who are experiencing pain. There is real meaning for those of us who are experiencing suffering. And so he says in the desert, he goes, everybody in the desert, listen to me. And then he singles out a few people. He says, I want you to single out those who are blind. I want you to single out those who are deaf. I want you to especially get the attention of those who are lame. I want you to lock eyes with those who are mute as you give this message. Because these are the people. These are the people whose experience with life is marked by pain and difficulty. These are people who are not experiencing life the way that it was designed to be lived in the garden. You see, if these people, if these people were to describe their current experience with life, they would tell you about the burning sands. They would tell you about the dryness. They would tell you about how hard it is and how dead it feels out here sometimes. But God says to them, when I come, when I come, the things that ought not to be will be set right. He says, when I come, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The man who didn't even have enough strength and facility of his legs to stand will be dancing. Probably the salsa. Because that's the sound of heaven, right? And so he's dancing like a deer. Next time you go on the dance floor, be like, bro, you look like a deer. And they're going to be like, thanks, bro. It's in the Bible, right? Those who can't even communicate the mute, they will sing. Not just croak out a few words, they will be singing. When he comes, life will be more like the garden that he made than the graves that we've made. They will know God has come. You will know God has come because he will change our lives. He'll change our lives. And here's what's beautiful. I want to show you one more thing here, okay? Because sometimes when we think about what we really want in life, we go, man, the greatest thing could just be the absence of pain. If God would just remove my desert, that would be great. If God could just take away the pain points, if he could just delete those bad things, if he could just remove the suffering, just give me a blank slate and that's all I would need. Take away the pain, Lord, is our prayer. But here's what I want you to notice here, and it's beautiful. And this is where we got to use our poetic mindsets and pay attention to how the poet is just packing so much meaning. He could have just told us, but he's using metaphor because why not, right? This is poetry. Notice here, God doesn't simply take away their pain. He doesn't simply remove their desert. Their places of pain are actually being transformed into sources of refreshment. Let me say that again. He's not simply removing the burning sand. He's not just deleting the thirsty ground. He's not just removing you from the lonely places of life that are visited only by the mangiest of scavengers. No. He's taking your burning sand and he's transforming it into a pool. We've just been living in the desert. Look at all the water imagery, friends. Sources of refreshment, the very places where you currently pant and thirst will one day be flowing with refreshing streams, pristine pools, gushing spring. How do I know when God is here? When the desert starts spewing spring water, he has come. 
when the dry places of your life are now overflowing with refreshment, he is here. Cool river embankments in the shade, teeming with reeds and rushes, marshy life. It's alive because he's come. He's not just going to remove your pain. He will transform it. And the places in your life that hurt the most right now, he's saying those can become the greatest sources of joy and contentment and gladness. The very relationships that cause you so much pain and turmoil right now could become the greatest sources of joy and gladness. The very things that you look at and you go, man, that is dead and hopeless. That will never live. He says, it will live. Because when I come, I will change your life. Friends, ask yourself this morning, where are the pain points of life? Where does it hurt? Where does the desert rage? You see, God is saying that when he comes, there will be hope for your particular situation. When God shows up, hope is not just a holiday sentiment. Put that on a Christmas card. Hope. Hope is not just a trite holiday idea. He is saying, when I come, there are real implications that will actually mean something for your particular difficulties. He makes dead things alive. And we're sitting here, and I know what the voice in your head says. Well, that's for everybody else. That doesn't apply to me. And friends, he's here to say, no, he's talking about you, for you, for me. My needs, my pain, my questions will be addressed and transformed in the arrival of God, our Savior. There's hope. He is coming, and he promises it. Do you long for it? Do you believe him? He's coming, and we know that the arrival of God is our promise of hope. He will change people's lives. And in the last few verses here, he gets very specific, and he now addresses the people in this original audience. And because me and you know the background, because we know that historical context, you're going to notice some things here. You're going to see a little bit more meaning in these verses because you understand who he's talking to. And so look at our last couple of verses here. And a highway shall be there, And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The last thing we see here, friends, is that when God comes back, God will lead his people in his ways. God will lead his people in his ways. You see, right now, where there was only desert, God said he's going to build a highway. And the name of that highway is... I-95. No, I'm kidding. It's the way of holiness. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. All right? The name of the highway is the way of holiness. This isn't one of those hard-to-find back roads, like if you're going toward Preston, and you're like, is this a road? It just looks like grass with, like, some tire marks on it. I'm like, yep, that's the road. And you're like, I'm not falling for that. All right? I've seen too many horror stories. It's not one of those back roads. 
not lit at all. Good luck finding your way. No, God is building a highway. It is a well-lit, paved road, and this highway makes his ways clear. This is his way. To walk here is to walk in God's ways. This is the path of obedience. And he makes it very clear. This path is not for everybody. I mean, this is not a public path that people happen to be wandering onto. No, no, no. Those who have yet to turn to God and be washed clean of their sin, you won't find them traversing this road. And nor do they want to. He says this road is for those who are living out their identity as a person who has been made clean and set apart for God. To walk here is to live for God. To walk in this path is the way of life. Anybody else want to walk there? Oh, Lord, please. But here's the problem. This road has long been abandoned by God's people, right? It's been a long time since Israel stepped foot on that road. Long time ago, they wandered and their fickle feet have brought them this way. And they are so lost in the sauce that they are trying to live life their own way. And their GPS doesn't even know the way back. They're so lost. If you ever find yourself in that situation, you're in Preston, okay? I'm helping you out here, right? They are so lost. They don't even know how to find the way, let alone how to walk on it. But here's the key. He is coming. And when he comes, he will be leading his people back to the path. When he comes, he will be reestablishing his ways. He is restoring those who have wandered back to the ways of the Lord. He's not just rebuilding the economy. He's not just going to address the infrastructure of Israel. He is coming to transform the spiritual landscape. He's not just coming to reverse the situation around them. He's coming to transform the hearts within them. That's what he promises here. You see, those who are now in the desert of captivity in Babylon, he gives them a big promise. Look what he says. And you know this because you understand the context. He says, there is a day where you shall return. That's no small promise. Whoa, those people who thought their life was over, those people who are now living in a foreign nation as a slave, this is no small promise. You will return. You will return to Zion. You will once again worship me in Jerusalem. That's powerful. But here's what he says. Here's what he says. Not only will I ransom you, not only like a, like a person who's kidnapped and, and a rescuer ransoms them, not only will I ransom you from that foreign nation, he says when you return, you will be different. You're not just coming back. You will be coming back on the highway. He says, you're not just coming back into the physical location. No, no, the redeemed shall walk on that highway. They're not just coming back geographically. They are coming back spiritually. This time, when they come, God is not just changing their address. He's going to change their hearts. Don't call it a comeback, friends. Woo, don't call it a comeback. At least not just a physical one. Because this is also a spiritual comeback. Because this time they will walk in his ways. And this time when they come back to the land, as they walk in his ways, they will experience gladness and joy. The only gladness and joy that comes 
from following life the way that God designed it to be lived. And all of the futility that has characterized their life for so long, all of the sorrow and the sighing will be no more. Anyone in need of a comeback? Anyone else aware of just how impossible it feels at times to stay on the highway? Anyone honest enough in this room or real enough to know that, man, some days it feels like there's more of this than there is of that? He knows. He knows that no amount of self-control, no amount of good intentions, no amount of New Year's resolutions is enough to have you stay on the path on your own. And so that's why this time when he comes, it'll be different. He says to all of us foolish people in the room, he says, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. And all the fools wearing a microphone said, yes, amen, there's hope. There's hope, friends. He goes, this time, when you come back into the land, this time it will be different because this time there will be sticking power. This time, you will no longer wander off the path. This time, when I come, I will transform you so much to the point that you will end this cycle of faithfulness, apostasy. Faithfulness, slavery and captivity. Faithfulness, heresy. He says, even those who are fools, even the the worst among us, will experience a staying power because this time when he arrives, he's not only going to give us the path, he's going to give us the power. Jeremiah also prophesied about this day, and he said in chapter 31, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When he comes, he's not only going to give us a highway to show us, but a heart to walk in it. He's not only going to give us the path to walk, but the power to walk on it. You see, when God comes, he is going to tend to the heart condition, to the spiritual depravity that got them into this mess in the first place. Because this time when he comes, his law and his ways will not simply be written on tablets of stone and put in a chest. This time he's going to write it on tablets of their heart in their chest. And from within, they will know the way. This covenant will be different because they will know God's ways because he lives in their heart. And what a day that will be. We long for the spiritual transformation that will happen when God comes. It's coming, friends, because he's coming. Because the arrival of God is our promise of hope. The arrival of God is our promise of hope. And so anyone else wanting this, this hope this morning? Anyone else sitting here and just yearning for the day where the dead parts of our life will be transformed into living gardens? Anyone sitting here longing for the day where God's arrival will change the lives of his people in real ways, the blind, the mute, the deaf, where the dead parts come alive and we are transformed? And not just our circumstances, we long for the spiritual transformation that will happen when he comes. And so we want this. Where is it? You see, you come here this morning, you're like, wow, all right, Sam, that was nice. Thank you for your enthusiasm. That was a nice, inspirational message, but now I'm going to go back to my real life because nothing you said matters. Because if God really is bringing this hope, where is it? 
Where is it? Is this just an exciting thing we say once a week? Where is the hope? When is he coming? You see, there was this man once, and he showed up on the scene in his community, making some pretty audacious claims. And what made it so much crazier is that this man was born in a manger, and he grew up, and and he became a traveling teacher, and he started to tell people that he was from heaven. And that's blasphemy, and so they executed him, and they killed him. But you see, as, as he laid in a tomb, his followers, they started to do some math, and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. So when Jesus was here, we literally saw the physical wildernesses filled with food and refreshment. We literally saw the personal deserts that people were living in. We saw the lame healed and dancing. We saw the blind open their eyes. We saw the ears of the deaf opened. We saw mute speak. That sounds familiar. Wait a minute. When Jesus was here, we saw spiritual transformation come, renewal come, following in his wake everywhere that he went. We saw fickle, uneducated fishermen transformed and filled with a fire and a conviction after spending three years with him. And then I also remember Jesus promising to put his spirit inside of us, to empower us, to follow him, to give us sticking power, to obey his commandments. If I didn't know any better, friends, it sounds like the promise of hope arrived in the person of Jesus. It sounds like the promise of hope was born in a manger. And it sounds like God has come just like he said he would. And that's the conclusion that his followers came to. That God said, I'm coming! And Jesus arrived and said, I'm here. And if they had any doubts in their mind, those were put aside when this man rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, proving once and for all that not only did he come to deliver people from a global foreign superpower in their slavery, but to rescue us from the ultimate tyrant of sin And death. Do you want hope this morning, friends? Do you need hope this holiday season? If so, the Bible is clear. God's promise of hope arrived in the person of Jesus. And so whatever your question is this morning, the hope of Jesus is the answer. And so God is making us this offer of hope. And he's doing it. Because he's calling us and he says, come to the one who came for you this Christmas day. Turn to him with your pain. Turn to him with your disappointments. Ask him to save you and see how he transforms your deserts. You can talk to any number of people in this room who have become a follower of Jesus. Hear story after story after story of how Jesus has met the deepest desires of our heart and soul. How he satisfies the deepest cravings of our life. And in a world that is offering you self-help and soul remodels, he comes and he offers us complete spiritual transformation. Come to the one who has come for you. Do you want hope this morning? Merry Christmas, friends. Merry Christmas. Our hope, the arrival of God, is our promise of hope. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, for speaking to us through your word. We thank you that even when we were far away, that you didn't give up on us. You persisted. 
You pursued, you offered us hope even when we didn't deserve it. And so here we are, and we dare to believe you. We dare to take you up on this offer of hope, and we ask you, Lord, to transform our lives. Father, I pray for those right now who are in a particularly difficult desert. Father, I pray that your message of hope would be so much more than trite words and and nice sentiments. That they would see this as so much more than just cute cliches, but that they would open their hearts and put their trust in you. Father, thank you for the meaning of Christmas. Thank you for the hope of the incarnation. You said you would come, and you did, and we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.